Toronto is going back to the polls June 26, so we're bringing you another special election panel. This is Spacing Radio. Broadcasting from what I hope will be a noticeably different city in a short amount of time, I'm Glenn Bowerman and you're listening to the official podcast of Spacing Magazine. Coming up on the show, the Toronto mayoral by-election is about to take place. We've seen decent early polling numbers, there have been a number of televised debates, and the lawns are littered with campaign signs. But what happens after the vote? What will the first few months of the new mayor's term, whoever that mayor is, look like? To answer that, We've convened a panel of Spacing Senior Editor John Lawrence, Toronto Star City Hall reporter Alicia Hashan, and reporter with the Narwhal, Fatima Sayed. Stand by. To begin, I'm going to get everyone to introduce themselves so they can put a, a name to the voice, uh, just uh, who you are and uh, what you do. Hi, I'm John Lawrence. I'm a senior editor at Spacing Magazine. Hi, I'm Alicia Hashem. I'm a City Hall reporter with the Toronto Star. Hi, I'm Fatma Sayed. I am the Ontario reporter for the Narwhal. Okay, I wanted to begin by uh, talking about the difference uh, between this mayoral by-election and the, the broader Toronto election that we really just had. I've seen some encouraging things, including there's almost a 12% increase in advanced voting turnout, given that there were eight days, I think, of advanced voting in the general Toronto election and only six for this mayoral by-election. So let's start with that. Uh, I mean, it, it seems like people are much more engaged in this more specified contest than the uh, general municipal election that we only just had uh, in, in October of last year. Did people know we had an election last year? <laughs> I'm not sure they do. So, yeah, I think the big difference is that maybe people are a little bit more aware. and There's definitely more of a contest, although I was encouraged by the advanced voting numbers because I am hearing that people are still not necessarily aware there's an election, despite Edward Gong doing his absolute best to let people know with signs everywhere. But, yeah, I, I don't know. How are you guys feeling about it? I mean, I live in Mississauga, so I'm, I'm technically the... <laughs> I technically have no stake in this game, and I'm I'm happy about it until Miss Saga does its thing, and we have to talk about that when at some point later. But it is interesting, and I wonder if it's because the departure of the last mayor. Are we allowed to say his name, or is it like Voldemort now? I don't know. <laughs> we, um, <laughs> we can say, we can say, but just once, yeah, or else uh, he, he he'll appear back in office somehow. John Tory's departure was such a big deal that I think it got a lot of people's attention and everyone knows now that Toronto needs a mayor. And I wonder if that's what's fueling um, the interest and engagement right now. I mean, the other thing that like I would point out is that last fall was supposed to be a change election. Uh, you know, the mayor whose name mm -hmm. shall not be mentioned said that he wasn't going to run a third time and then he did. So this is kind of delayed change election, plus the condensed election time, right? I mean, we have this very short period. And so everything had to ramp up quickly. I guess we'll find, we'll know ultimately by the turnout when we get to the 27th. Yeah, I, I, I guess I should say, in, in case anyone uh, of our listeners forgot, that uh, turnout in the last municipal election was abysmally poor. Uh, I think it was something around 20% percent 
voter turnout, which is just a depressing number, especially if you are in the business of uh, uh, communicating uh, what's going on in the city. Uh, I'm certain that uh, most voters don't know that it it is almost impossible to unseat an incumbent. So I, I don't think that was the reason they didn't come out. But that having been said, uh, I wonder if the fact that there isn't one uh, and there aren't the the kind of polls supporting this, you know, impossible to unseat an incumbent uh, philosophy, uh, I wonder if that even subliminally is getting people out and, and, and getting them to engage in a way that they didn't a couple of months ago. One thing I think is interesting is someone was like, what if someone had one of these people who is who are running now had run in the last election and had a chance to kind of set themselves up as an opposition kind of thing? And would that have been a great idea for someone like Josh Matlow to like, you know, boost his name recognition in that way? But the big difference between uh, this by-election and then is that you would have lost your council seat in taking that big risk. It would have been a huge risk to take. And so there's also like, what's the this, this is sort of like, what's the point of taking on John Tory when he's just going to win again? And now suddenly everyone had to jump into gear, but there's like very little to lose by participating, right? Like there's only an upside, like like even people, we've talked a lot about like, Will someone endorse, like, ind- drop out and endorse somebody or whoever? Like, really, the upside is like getting your name in people's faces in like a way, and then like whatever you want to do next. Now you're a household name. I think that certainly that's true for possibly Saunders, um, who's sort of taking a second kick at the electoral can. I suspect that Mitzi Hunter has something else um, on her mind besides becoming the mayor and not winning. And she is actually the only one who had to undertake a professional sacrifice to run in this campaign. But I'm sure we haven't seen the last of her. You mean stepping down as MPP? Yeah. You know, from the provincial side, I kind of expected to hear more from Doug Ford, uh, maybe trying to put his thumb on the scale. But uh, Fatima, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like he's unofficially endorsed Saunders, but hasn't really come out swinging for him. Uh, and beyond that, just kind of said that, you know, woe betide Toronto if they elect a, a quote unquote lefty mayor. I mean, he said plenty. If You just have to be paying attention and reading the subtext. Let's be real. Um, he hasn't explicitly said that I want this person to win, but but he has mentioned it enough, which makes you wonder who he's backing. It's no surprise, right? Everyone knows that Doug likes Mark, uh, Mark Saunders. And we all know the history of the Fords and um, their relationship with policing institutions and, and, and how it goes. But I think for me, you know, being at Queens Park so much and, and, and looking at the policies happening there, what's really interesting about the Toronto election is whoever becomes mayor has a very big challenge ahead. All the policies that we've seen since last fall pertaining to housing and development are leaving things to municipal discretion. There's a lot that municipalities need to figure out everything from where to build, how to build, who's going to build, how much are we going to build, how much green space are we going to forego to build, are we going to incorporate transit to it, how much farmland are we going to lose. All of those questions are currently before city councils across the province, and Toronto being the largest city in Ontario um, has a lot to contend with. And right now, you know, 
we need a mayor. We need a lot of mayors um, to to be able to stand with a megaphone and 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 really give voice to those issues. There have been some mayors that have done that. Bonnie Crombie in this saga comes to mind, but she has decided to run for liberal leader, so we can't use her as an example anymore. Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward has been pretty vocal. Um, it will depending on who Toronto gets. That could be a game changer in the provincial conversation about growth and development. And I'm interested to see what happens. I had a question for Fatima. Sure. Queen's Park has been talking a lot about governance reforms in Peel. I mean, they're doing the divorce in Peel. Frank Scarpetti in York Region is wants to have a you know group marriage. Then there's strong mayor powers being rolled out for the other municipalities. Do you think that Ford is going to do some, make some governance changes to the city of Toronto after this election? I mean, based on the track record, anything is possible, (laughs) Um, which is a very scary statement to say out loud in a podcast, but it's true. I think, you know, we're recording this on a day where we've learned that 26 more municipalities are getting strong mayor powers, everyone from Hamilton to Ajax and Brampton and London and Markham. Toronto already has strong mayor powers. It just seems like the provincial government is is making up municipal governance on the fly right now. I have tried to make sense of it. I cannot beyond just question whether this is an offloading of provincial responsibilities in the housing growth and development space to cities. Um, whether that's good or not, time will determine, of course, but it is messy which again brings me back to the point that Toronto needs a really strong mayor right now and not in the way that the Ford government is defining strong mayor, but a genuine strong mayor who can, you know, navigate the city, help the city, hold the city's hand and and walk it through whatever is happening in Ontario. Yeah, let's let's get into the strong mayor of it then. A, A lot of the candidates have been making sort of bold assertions about what they would do. There really is the the question hanging over everyone's head about what they would be allowed to do, because as everyone knows, Toronto is a creature of of the Ontario province. And uh, like Fatima just said, uh, I don't think it's what uh, Celtic legend Kevin Garnett meant when he said anything is possible, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah, we we just don't know uh, how and when the Doug Ford of it all will drop. Uh, Alicia, what are are you hearing and, and how do you think this might play out in the strong mayor of it all? And and standing up to Doug Ford, whoever the the next mayor may be. It's kind of interesting, right? Because like, I don't know, in my mind, like Doug Ford has like, in my head is like the final boss, like the ultimate mayor of mayors, like that sort of like, like I said, it feels like anything is possible. And that in some ways we've been having an election that is like more about Doug Ford than your competitors, because everyone is trying to position themselves as the person who can both contest him and work with him as the case may be. But we've also sort of had, and I think this is maybe a little more of like a nerd dream and maybe less about like the actual electorate, but a bit of a referendum on like the strong mayor powers and whether we actually want them. Because we do have a slate of candidates who are saying we will not use and we pledge to not use the strong mayor powers. And we have other candidates who have said, absolutely, we would be using the strong mayor powers. I got to say, sometimes watching City Hall makes you want a strong mayor to like get stuff done, I I didn't I didn't know that I necessarily felt that way before before spending time at City Hall, but um, I maybe do now. Um, 
but but yeah, I think I think we are sort of seeing like you know, will Toronto reject wholesale the use of strong mayor powers, and then how are we going to feel about that if all our neighbors are strong mayoring? And will we regret kind of maybe the stance that we've taken or not? Maybe we'll be proven right. Like, it is interesting. Like, I, I don't, again, like, I don't know if this is actually what's on the minds of voters necessarily, but it's one of those things that's actually like very, very important to process. So, yeah, we'll see. The thing with the strong mayor powers is that there are really two sets of them. There are the, the powers that enable the mayor to direct the bureaucracy. And we saw, you know, a little piece of that in the uh, council meeting this week. And then there's the ability to drive through a vote with a minority of councillors, which hasn't happened yet and is subject to this very malleable, slippery filter that it has to align with provincial priorities. And to me, that's the that's the acid test. Like if Olivia Chow wins, for example, and decides that she's going to get all Machiavellian and find the left and drive through a bunch of stuff with nine votes or 10 votes, how do we resolve whether or not those are provincial priorities and who's the decider? Like none of that is really clear at all. It's as murky as the, like the actual powers that were divested to the city of Toronto under the city of Toronto act, which were also pretty, you know, kind of flabby and not specific. So if I could just add, like, we don't know what the provincial priorities are going to be either, right? Like, that's the thing of, like, we're, we're sort of, like, in the dark a little bit. Those could change. So, like, really, there is, like, an exercise in, like, trust and faith here that you're, like, also when you're thinking about electing somebody, it's you're electing somebody who you think is going to do the right thing, regardless of what powers they sort of are suddenly bestowed with. So there's a, that extra level of, like, who knows what they're going to, what your mayor is going to be allowed to do. And so you really got to think about that. Right. I mean, some people looking at the polls, and I, I don't like to talk about polls too much, uh, you know, especially when the story seems to be it's a foregone conclusion because they can be wrong. And and I think it, it causes people to check out sometimes and, and we don't want that. But, um, you know, let's say there's a hypothetical Olivia Chow mayor. I suppose Doug Ford could just uh, reverse the legislation, revoke the strong mayor legislation. But I think, John, what you're saying is he he wouldn't necessarily have to just at every step of the way, everything that was proposed, he could just, you know, have someone, Steve Clark or whoever say, no, that's not in line with provincial priorities. Uh, Fatima, I mean, you, you have a, a good perspective on, uh, on the provincial side of things. Uh, do you have any idea how you think that might play out? I mean, I think once Doug Ford makes a decision, it's very hard to get a reversal of of that decision, as we've seen (laughs) with many different things. I think Strong Mayors is here to stay. And what will be interesting to see is what the mayors do with these powers, right? I think they could be a force for good, you know, if if used right. It's it's almost like a policy superpower where they could actually bring about meaningful change for their communities and their cities. But that's why it matters who gets elected in Toronto <laughs> and, and and what their perspective is on these provincial policy tools that Doug Ford is basically trying to gift them every month. I mean, uh, Alicia, we we have had a little taste of, of what strong mayor powers can mean uh, in that arguably John Tory, as his parting shot, uh, managed to to pass uh, this year's budget and uh, seemed to get everyone on board, 
maybe he would have been able to do that anyway. But uh, I wonder how much of that was just, well, you know, he, he can just pull the ripcord if, if we really try to fight him on this. And then we also found out uh, yesterday, uh, your, your colleague, uh, star columnist Matt Elliott, uh, was tweeting about um, they just named the uh, a new deputy city manager who was basically installed by the current city manager because another Tory parting shot. Oh, no, I said his name too many times. Uh, one of the things he did just before leaving office was uh, to to hand over his, uh, you know, strong mayor powers of, of uh, you know, hiring people to the city manager and, and the city manager picked this new deputy manager and, you know, the council did get to vote on it, but uh, that's where we are now. Uh, unless, I, unless I'm misreading the, what, what just happened yesterday as, as the time we were recording. No, that, that's right. I think that's the kind of insidious part of the strong mayor powers that like you don't necessarily see, but like they redid the whole budget process. So essentially what you had as a mayor who like worked with staff and instead of sort of coming up and doing a whole process that was like in, engaged and you had sort of deputations that actually meant something and, and counselors kind of working together to like, you know, come up with their own ideas or insert things. You had a sort of fait accompli where like you just, you know, you didn't even vote on it at the end. It just passed. Right. And we had this like weird rollout of like sneak peeks of like different budget platform. And it was really weird. And we have had, you know, candidates say like Chow has said this, that like, she would go back to the old way of doing a budget process that's more collaborative. But yeah, there's all these like kind of things where like even the panel that was like brought together to pick the next deputy city managers, if you look at who's on that panel, you start to see like who's actually wielding influence and power in the city and like who's making these decisions. And suddenly you start to realize that the mayor is an incredibly important person, even though they're just one vote, picking the people who are making the decisions about you know, all the actual granular stuff about how the city works is incredibly important, right? We look at, for mm -hmm. example, who's in charge of like the encampments and things like that, right? The perspective of that person will be very, very important. And if you're choosing the person who's going to make those decisions, the qualities that you look for will be very, very important. So yeah, there's a, a lot of sort of soft under the radar things that come with the strong mayor powers too. And I don't think we have a clear answer on whether those things will be used or not by the next mayor. I don't feel especially worked up about the ability of the mayor to delegate hiring authority to the, the chief administrative officer. I, I feel like that's sort of been the kind of a de facto situation for quite a while. And the thing with budgets is that the way the city's budget process works is, is that, you know, it's this weird dance where, the staff comes up with this fantasy budget and it gets kicked back and forth. And there's like some, you know, some beating of chests and pulling of hair. And then, and then a deal gets worked out. But this year we had what looked to me mostly like a calm strategy that went out with the budget, which was different. And most of the budgets that I've seen have been quite managed centrally and that all the players know that there's some stuff at the margins where you can play and you can get a crowd or you can get, you know, you can push and pull and get, you know, a little a change here, a change there. And that's really what happened this time as well. So, you know, I think that all of that will continue. I think that the, the big moment will be, and this, this is true for all these other cities that are getting strong mayors is who, who is going to have the, 
courage to push through a minority decision first. And I, I think that that's where you really bump up against uh, democratic norms. And I personally believe that it's probably not going to happen anytime soon because just feels unfair. And I think that the pushback will be significant, including a council on subsequent votes um, where councillors feel like they've been, you know, something has been pushed past them in a way that wasn't democratic at all. So even with the right wing candidates, I, I'm, I'd be very surprised if they, if they led with that. But can you imagine like, say Mark Saunders becomes mayor and he, he finds like eight councillors in the suburbs who, you know, led by Stephen Holliday, say, let's rip up all the bike lanes, right? That would be a very destabilizing move at, in, in the politics of the council and in the city. So, yeah, the question I have is, you know, all these strong mayors, including whoever the future mayor of Toronto is, where do their allegiances lie, right? That's what's at question. Like, are you the mayor of Toronto or are you one of the many mayors who's, you know, pledged allegiance to the provincial government and and their policies because you've been given all these powers. I think that's what's at question. I would be curious to see, you know, courage is a good word that John used because it would be interesting to see which mayors actually fight back, which mayors actually reject provincial policies or push back against provincial policies despite having these strong mayoral powers. And there's a lot at stake, like, you know, on the climate file, uh, we're talking about huge amounts of transit funding that Toronto needs to fix the TTC and 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 create more public transit generally. We're we're talking about you know creating emissions a free or net zero buildings, um, bike lanes. Uh, a lot of this this stuff requires provincial cooperation. What happens if the province gives Toronto a proposal that? goes against what the city wants. Will the mayor stand up for the city or will the mayor just usher it through because the province, you know, told them to? That's the big question. This might be just ridiculously uh, Pollyanna of me, but uh, the language of the strong mayor legislation is that uh, it's there to, you know, push through political priorities. And I remember years and years ago when we had this, one of the first of many giant fights over transit in Toronto, Councillor Gord Perks stood up and said, well, the good news is that uh, everyone in this room seems to agree that uh, public transit of some kind needs to be built. And he said that not too long ago, not everyone was on side with that. So it seems watching this mayoral election and listening to what's coming out of the province, that at the very least, at a very, very basic level, everyone agrees that that there is a housing crisis and that housing needs to be built. Where and how we do it, that's that's a subject for debate. But I wonder, even if there is a Mayor Chow, if there's a possibility of some kind of common ground that Chow says to Doug, you know, we're all trying to build housing. So let's sit down in a room together and just figure out what that looks like. Now, we know that Doug's plan largely involves sprawl, opening the green belt, that kind of thing. You know, taking away what he considers to be detriments to developments, but cities consider a kind of essential revenue to pay for the things that we need. But it's, am I being ridiculously naive or is there a world where they can at least start from that very basic point that housing needs to happen in the city of Toronto? 
are you running for mayor? Can I vote for you? Uh, To quote John Mulaney, a lot of people would have to get pretty cool about a lot of things before that could happen. Uh, I don't think it's Pollyannish, though, actually, because I think like the thing that I find most striking about this election in some ways, and I wasn't expecting it, is that there is broad agreement on things like we need housing, we need transit. There is a crisis of affordability and cost of living. We desperately need to have spaces that are affordable for people to go because people are literally being like losing their homes and are being forced into like terrible conditions. Like we do need all of these, like the social safety net. We like do need to have all mental health supports. There's broad support for police alternative responses that involve like nurses and social workers. Like nobody is saying no to those things. And that is a huge shift if you really think about it. So that's great. Well, there's a lot of common ground to be had, I I guess, but it comes back to what Fatima said, which is like, when it comes time to stand up against something, who's going to do that? And who's going to say, well, not this way, or not at the cost of this, whatever that is. Yeah, because when everyone's on the same page about the problems, it becomes an election about the solutions. Right. And and I'm not saying that this is an election about solutions. Like we can debate that to to till we're blue in the face because I don't think it is. It should be, but it isn't. But that's what's at play here, which is who has the best solution. And if you get elected and the other person had the better solution and the province comes to you with a shittier solution, am I allowed to say shittier on this podcast? Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I said it. Um, are you gonna be the mayor that 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 can, you know, back the right way to do things? Because we are, you know, to not to sound like a broken record, like literally every other person in journalism and politics right now, but we're coming off of three years of the pandemic that has completely devastated all aspects of our society. We're in a climate emergency. We had the worst air quality in the world just like a few weeks ago. The wildfires are still happening. Transit is still broken. Housing is still unaffordable. We know all of this. It's it's really about, okay, help us fix it. Who's going to help us fix it? And right now we're dealing with a provincial government that is, isn't exactly offering the best kind of solutions. So it, it really is going to be a battle of solutions and, and a battle of fighting for the right solution. And, and I think the person who wins has to prove themselves in that regard. Just to build on that, there's like a lot of consensus at the high level, but Whoever's the next mayor is going to have a person on their staff who's a Tory, who does the intergovernment governmental affairs file and is whose job, unenviable job, will be to do deals with Queen's Park. And that's like a long list of puts and takes, right? What does the city want? What does that mayor want? Is it, you know, are we going to block Ontario Place? Are we going to pull down that stretch of the gardener? Um, are we going to make it difficult for the Metrolinks to kind of continue its construction? Uh, Where are we going to put all that housing? While I think that I would agree with all of you that there's broad consensus on housing affordability and all of that, I think that at the level of practical politics and just having watched the way Ford operates is that the next mayor is going to have to really be thinking about the transactional nature of the relationship between Queen's Park and City Hall and where the pressure can be applied and where it has to be sort of pulled back. And here again, I think that the the issue is 
with a lot of the candidates is not what's in their policy book, but how will they manage that relationship? And it is not at all clear, but it's going to be transactional, 100%. I wanted to, uh, I mean, still on the housing front, but also, you know, the the environment and the, and the Doug Ford of it all. I didn't hear a lot when the candidates were discussing housing, the word upzoning. Some people said intensification. I think I, I saw the word specifically in, in one of Matt Lau's platform pages. But uh, a lot of people would say that because Toronto has refused to upzone a lot of its so-called stable residential neighborhoods, the, the sort of single-family detached housing neighborhoods, uh, that it gave political cover for Doug Ford to allow sprawl into the green belt, saying that because city council for years has has refused to upzone certain neighborhoods, that there really was no choice, that housing has to be built somewhere. And if it's not going to be in the, the so-called yellow belts, uh, as it's been called, then it's got to be in the green belt. There's no other choice. I personally don't subscribe to that, but uh, I, I do understand how how that does provide some political cover for for what we've seen provincially, and uh, I'm sure any all three of you have thoughts on that one. Upzoning is a, one of those words that, that looks like a red cloth that you wave in front of the Bull of Residents Association. <laughs> so we did, you know, we just I think the multiplex bylaw was just approved finally. Mm-hmm. The next big one is going to be making it easy to to intensify along major streets, which honestly we've been trying to do for 30 years. I think that in this area, uh, it really will be up to the next mayor and the planning department to allow those things to happen. And coming back to the puts and takes, when they could say that we're going to build 250,000 housing units, then the city has more room to negotiate other things. But this is this is one of those areas where the city really has to take ownership of the planning policies, which is sort of starting to do, but could do a lot more of. That's the way I would look at it. And also like say like this is an opportunity for the city to get a bit of a mandate on the kinds of things that people actually want. And so we do have a number of housing plans and like not all of them are as detailed there are people talking about things like, you know, building around like transit hubs and things like that. Again, like, you know, if you live near a subway station, sorry, like there needs to be densification in in this particular neighborhood. That's just the way we're going to develop the city. And if enough voters come forward and say, this is what we actually want, that gives city council the cover they need to actually start pushing forward some of this stuff. And like in talking to the candidates, I think there is sort of like a broad sort of feeling that like this is we're actually giving the voters what they want, which was maybe not the feeling even I don't even last election, but in elections past. So there is, I think, something to be said for like going well, Torontonians have spoken. Fatima, uh, Josh Matlow says that if he were the mayor of Toronto, he would uh, rally the other mayors in, in the region uh, across Ontario and and push back against uh, opening the green belts. Is that uh I know you you and your colleagues have been covering this this developing the green belt issue extensively at the narwhal. You know, what what do you think about that plan if there is a, a Josh Matlow or as mayor or, you know, someone like Olivia Chow takes that idea and, and runs with it? I definitely think Ontario would benefit from having a unified 
approach to land use planning. But the more I report on it and the more I learn about it, the more I realize that that might be impossible. And the reason it might be impossible is because every municipality is in such a different geography and in such a different landscape and coming together might be really difficult. The one thing that I can say for certain is this is about trade-offs. And and I think, you know, the next several elections that we're going to see are going to be about trade-offs. You know, farmland for housing, greenbelt for housing, transit for roads, clean air for um I don't know, really large apartments, really fancy large skyscrapers. What I'm looking for is logical, nuanced explanation and justification from elected officials on which side of the trade-off they're going for and why. And and why does that help me? And that I realize is a very big and slightly naive ask as well, because politics hates nuance and hates the reason. But that's where we're at. Things are too complicated and too important now for for me to say, yay, let's vote for Josh Matlow because he's going to get the mayors together and support the Green Belt. That's not enough. You know, I need the next three steps after that. I need to know, okay, so you got the mayors on board. Now what? What's the plan to build housing? How are you guys all going to build housing in your cities? How are you going to ensure that there is green space available? How are you going to ensure that there is food security? How are you going to ensure there's clean air and clean water available to all? Then we can talk about who to vote for. But right now we're still at the surface level. I think, you know, politicians are like, okay, well, as long as we support the green belt, we're good. We'll get the votes. We're way beyond that because we've also learned in the last several months that just because someone says something doesn't mean that they're going to follow through. Thanks, Doug Ford, for that. <laughs> that. That's a that's a heck of a legacy there. We're we're coming to the close, so I wanted to ask all three of you uh, to stare into your crystal balls and and try <laughs> try and tell us like what what happens in the next hundred days, or what will you be looking for? What needs to happen? Uh, what do you hope happens? You know, re- regardless of the, we'll we'll just say candidate X is now mayor of Toronto. Doug Ford is still premier of Ontario. What, what does the immediate future look like post-mayoral by-election? I think the there's going to be a very interesting shift in dynamic on council, and I think that will be very interesting to see. We had a number of young progressive candidates elected in the last election. Um, I would be very interested to see if there's sort of, again, like, you know, are we going to see changes on who are leading certain committees, um, who are making the decisions? Are we going to see consensus building? Are we going to see increasing divisiveness? How are we going to see the relationship with Doug Ford unfold? John listed a number of very big fights that I don't know that I see a compromise solution on, whether it's the Gardner or Ontario place or the science. Like I just, those are tough things. I think there's a short time to build trust with, with people because people, no matter who you're voting for, you're taking a really big gamble because we don't have the kind of nuance or uh, security blanket that like I would like to have. So a lot of things are going to have to happen really fast under like on shifting sands. And yeah, uh, it could go really great. It could go really badly. It'll probably do both in some ways. We'll just be really, really, really busy. (laughs) I think that in the next like three or four months, there are a couple of 
a couple of big shifts and Alicia, you referenced some of these, but essentially we're coming off 12 years of a certain type of mayoral power and a certain type of relationship between the city and the province. You know, both Rob Ford and John Tory were initially elected with pretty large majorities. And so they, they were able to sort of assert themselves at council, get their agendas through until they couldn't. I don't think that the next mayor is going to have that kind of broad political backing. Like it's going to be a smaller plurality. It's coming in this weird sort of by-election mode. So the mechanics of getting stuff through council will be super important. And I feel like that has to be sort of sorted out rather quickly because mayors can't lose votes because once they've lost a vote, they'll lose all the rest of the votes. So that's one part of it. And the second part is to change the paradigm of the relationship between the city and the province. And Tory's approach has been, you know, he really left a stamp. He was always after just the deal and making, you know, as little mess as possible. So it's a change election. So that change is going to be super important. And it, you know, I think Alicia's exactly right. It could go well. It could go really badly. Smart track forever. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Fatima, you're kind of the one uh, of us uh, who's on the top of the hill looking down. Uh, what do you see the next uh, sort of 100 days or a couple months as, as what, what do you think has to happen? This question would be so much fun, more fun if you asked me what I want to see. <laughs> well, what do you want to see? I want to see a big fight between the municipalities and the province. That's right. what I want to see. I want to see I want to th- see things get heated. I want to get I want to see a robust and very passionate fight over how we're going to solve all our problems. Because that's what politics is missing right now. I just the more I look at politics and then I'm going to sound like the incredibly young naive person that I am, but the deeper I get entrenched in politics and, and the more I watch it, the more I realize that no one really cares about solving my problems, which is really sad. Um, and I would really just like, you know, this election to be the one where we actually give a shit about Toronto and actually fix it because that city is desperate for some TLC and, and we really need a mayor and city council to give it to it because uh, Transit sucks. I drive to Toronto more than I should right now. And the roads are awful. It's not just potholes. It's just the wear and tear, the bumps. And then you ride the TTC and that's you sad. And then you look at the garbage bins and that makes you sad. And then you just look at the architecture and that makes you sad. I just want to walk down Young Street or Bay Street or whichever street and feel joy to be in Toronto again. And I think that's what all the residents want. So let's fight about it. Let's actually solve it. Like, that's what I want to see. What will actually happen is, I don't know, Doug will do something. The mayor will not respond as well and things will stay the same. And at least <laughs> we'll have to cover all of it. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, whoever wins uh, this, this mayoral by-election, uh, as you say, Fatima is a, is a, a true pugilist, but uh I'm going to leave it there. The election day is uh, Monday, June 26th. So get there, you know, after you've listened to this podcast. I want to thank you, uh, Alicia, Fatima, and and John. This has been a blast. Thank you. Thanks. This was fun. Good luck, Toronto. (laughs) All right. All the best.
Just one more thing before we go. Elections are a terrible thing to watch alone. If you want to see the votes come in together, Spacing is hosting an election party on June 26 at Popper's Pub at 539 Bloor Street West. You'll get a free copy of our latest magazine issue at the door, which is all about fire. We'd love to see you. And that is the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please tell the windsurfers at Cherry Beach, the skaters under the gardener, and everyone at your disc golf tournament. If you have a moment, give us a rating on Apple Music and help us reach new listeners. I make this podcast with Neil Hinchley, who composes our music, and you can find that music on SoundCloud at Track82. That's all one word. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or tips, you can tweet at us at Spacing Radio, that's all one word, or email me at glennbowerman at spacing.ca. That's G-L-Y-N-B-O-W-E-R-M-A-N at spacing.ca. Visit our website at spacing.ca or visit our city store at 401 Richmond Street West in Toronto. In the meantime, happy voting.